from the Allen Samuel Studios. This is the John Moore Show on ESPN Central Texas. Walter Abercrombie joins us in my office. Jerry Hill is here. Going to talk about the Baylor Athletics Hall of Fame. The John Moore Show is brought to you by Amanda Cunningham, Coldwell Banker Apex Realtor, by Alliance Bank Central Texas, by Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat, your friend in the car business, and by Diamore Fine Jewelers, 4541 West Waco Drive, where Waco gets engaged. Uh, some guy who goes by initials and a, a letter and a number, and uh, he's kind of the headliner, right, Walter? A quarterback, a Heisman Trophy winner, RG3 is a member of this class. Yes, we, and, you know, and, and uh, we have a lot of folks who don't understand, uh, who are Baylor fans, who don't understand the process of, uh, of selection. And uh, I got some uh, notes from other folks who said, you know, why isn't RG3 in the Baylor Athletic Hall of Fame already. Yeah. I mean, he was one of, you know, the Heisman Trophy guy, one of the greatest players ever play here. Has a and statue he, up already. Has a statue, <laughs> statue. up already. <laughs> and you guys haven't put him, you're just now putting him in. He's been out, you know, for t- 10 years. And so um, once, you know, you, you kind of explain to folks there is a process. You do have to wait 10 years before you're eligible. And, and I think that's a good thing. But he, this is the first year he's eligible. So that's always a good, uh, good sign that somebody's really done something something great uh, or, or made a distinction in their career at, at somewhere um, when they're the first ballot. Mm-hmm. And so Robert is the first ballot and uh, we couldn't be more excited uh, to have him lead this class uh, this year. Now, from the Alan Samuel Studios, you're listening to the best of the John Moore Show here on ESPN Central Texas, the flagship station for Baylor Athletics. Here's Aaron Sexton. It is the best of the John Moore Show on ESPN Central Texas, our final edition of the week. And today, we'll hear John's conversation with Baylor men's basketball special assistant to the head coach, Bill Peterson. He joined John right before this year's NBA draft to talk about Baylor's Jeremy Sohan and Kendall Brown. He also talked about Baylor representing the United States in the global games going on right now through July 10th. Plus, we'll hear from Baylor Deputy Athletic Director Don Rogers on the 50th anniversary of Title IX. But first, we hear from Baylor Acrobatics and Tumbling Head Coach Felicia Mulkey. She joined John right after the Bears had clinched their seventh consecutive national title. Yes, they have themes. So day one was normal hair. Day two was business buns. So like this. Yeah, so they had business buns yesterday if you're watching. And then today they ask, when they advance, they ask uh, the staff if they could go find some green hairspray. So Mabry Herman, our sport program administrator, went to four stores to find 15 bottles of green hairspray. And if you look up in the stands, uh, their parents had hair and dads had beards also in green. So it was a family affair today. Now back to today's JMO Radio Show from the Allen Samuel Studios. Here's the voice of the Bears, John Morris and Aaron Sexton. Back with us, John Morris Show on ESPN Central Texas. That is Felicia Mulkey following the win over Gannon on Saturday evening in which Baylor, uh, that clinched for Baylor their seventh consecutive NCATA National Championship 
And we're joined now by the head coach of Baylor Acrobatics and Tumbling, Felicia Mulkey. And coach, uh, welcome and congratulations again. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. You bet. I appreciate you being on. How was the trip? Uh, You know, it ends with a national championship. I hope everything was uh, smooth there. Yeah, it was great. Um, And my alarm is going off. Sorry about that. Um, Everything was great. Oregon did a fantastic job hosting the championship. It was well done. Um, Yeah, and we just we had a blast. We we accidentally brought home a trophy too you know we were excited about that but but we had we had a great time yeah no no accident there at all that was the plan (laughs) all along right that's what we were working for for that's great uh we use that clip of the green hair uh painting the hair uh how'd that idea where'd it come from and how uh well received was that well i you know that they're weird and they just had they this team was has organically just had a lot of fun all year. And I remember earlier in the year, I think it was Kennedy Riley, one of our seniors just randomly got everyone's attention and said, uh, I don't remember before. I think it was before the regular season Oregon meet. And she said, um, just the next meet is going to be a crazy hair meet and do with that what you will. Yeah. I, I can't remember which meet it was, but since then, then they seemed their hair every time, you know, so they had business buns one time and so when we got to the championship, they um, they had different hair each day, a theme of hair. And if you're, you know, only they know, I think. No one uh-huh. else actually knew. Uh-huh. But they had made the request, could we get some green hairspray if we make it to the finals? And so, um, yeah, that was just another one of their, their things. And everyone took part, everyone. Mabry Herman had some green hair. Oh, okay. Stans had green hair. You had to take part. So, yeah. John, if you were there, you would have had I would have had green hair. Yeah, yeah, and you you took part, and Kelsey Rao, and everybody took part. We all did. Yep, I had a green ponytail. Fantastic. Well, that's fun. And you've said all year about this team being weird, and you mean it in in a very complimentary way. But uh, gosh, that that weird team really came together very well, didn't it? <laughs> they really did, and when, and they know that I say uh, weird. It, it is a term of endearment, right? For us. And, um, they what it really means is they had so much fun all year and just you know our goal each year is to create a space where everybody's comfortable in their own skin and that they can be themselves and we can laugh at each other and at ourselves and and this team someone asked me this year what sets this team apart and uh i think it's that it is the fact that they have just everything they've done has been with just so much enjoyment so much joy um and laughter along the way so it's been a really fun year well that is fun well congratulations that is so uh so fun to see and watch the journey and you finish undefeated on the year uh part of the weird this year was miss girl and i think our listeners uh, probably know uh that story uh, uh miss girl has her own instagram account you can look that up but miss girl made the trek out to eugene oregon I- is she back yet that's the question she- she is not back yet. She is on her, um, I think the return trip was going to take a little bit longer because her driver was making some stops. But this mannequin, was, it was so funny. And, you know, they, I didn't know where Miss Girl was going to be on right. most times. I had nothing to do with Miss Girl. And not that I didn't like her. I just had other things to do. So I, I don't know if it was Cam, our student manager, or student athlete. But she would show up places. And the first day she showed up on the sidelines, <laughs> Tournament director was like, no, you can't have her on the oh. sidelines. Of course you can't. Of course you can't have her on the sidelines. So it, it, we put her. You know, they the next day they had these this pipe and drape, and I look back at the second meet. I do not know when they put it there, but 
but they had her um, behind the pop and drape at the back of the mat. <laughs> and she was peeking out. And I was like, I can't even do this. And then the last day, you know, we have this little, their little height dance thing that they do. And, and uh, it's a tradition. And they do it before they take the mat each time. Right. And I walked back to see them, the, the, the final meet. And I wanted to just witness it. And someone had brought Miss Girl out there. I don't know how they got her there. But I hope <laughs> someone got a picture of this mannequin in the back of this group. With her arms up, and I yeah. thought, "Oh my gosh, we have got to get through this meet." <laughs> oh, that's great! Oh, that is this so is classic. Get back to Waco. I know. I they're a mess. That is so fun. Well, Miss Girl was a part of the the story for this team, wasn't it? She was, and I don't know if you heard this, John, but um, on day two, we had the team had requested to wear their vault uniform. Oh, and we did. Treasure had brought. Um, the vault uniform for event finals. Right. Not a lot of people would be in that. So she didn't bring an extra okay. vault uniform. Oh, no. And Emmy Nelson got a nosebleed right before a team event, and we had no extra vault uniforms except Miss Girl. Yeah. So Miss number 29, Miss Girl, actually made it into the meet um, because <laughs> Emmy Nelson had to go back behind the curtain and change. Oh. I, it was hysterical. I couldn't have – I'm going to have to write all of this down because I it will – this will be an unparalleled season. Uh, yes, yes. Like For your book but one yeah, of these days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it will like to go in the book. Yeah. <laughs> that is funny. Oh, that is great. The only, you know, the only thing that could have made it even better is if Madeline had put Miss Girl in your roster. You know, on your roster <laughs> is number 29. I don't know. That may have been illegal, so. Yeah, I know. I will have to check and see. Smart move not to do that. Uh, okay, here's a, here's a thought. So here in Waco this weekend, y'all were gone to Eugene. But baseball had a reunion of the 2012 Baylor baseball team. Won the Big 12, run a, won a Big 12 record, 24-game uh, winning streak. But that was the year of Feed the Beaver. Do you remember that from 2012? I was not here yet. But oh, okay. Mabry, had, Mabry actually explained that. Oh, she did? Okay. So you know the gist of that. Feed the Beaver. A beaver came up from the Brazos, and it was kind of a rallying cry. You know, hit a ball over the fence to the river and feed the beaver. That's what it was. And it was a real, real rallying cry for that team. Well, that year, they won the Big 12 Conference, and I kid you not, they put the beaver on the ring, on the championship <laughs> ring. So consider this for your championship ring – Maybe on one side, Miss Girl. I will let them know we have our banquet tonight. So if they're not listening, I will let them know this idea. Just you a know, thought. I think, you saw, I think you saw our travel shirt. Our uh, I did. Shirt. Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Those are. That's going to be a collector's item, John. We'll make sure you get one. Oh, a big time collector's item. Absolutely. So, well, Miss Girl, uh, really uh, a big part of your success this year. So banquet tonight, what's that like to kind of wrap up and celebrate? And uh, I'm sure you, you wrap it up, but you look ahead at the same time. Definitely. We wanted to do, you know, it's, our season is, ends at a time right before finals. Right. We wanted to, we've been planning the banquet since before the championship um, and added a few things after because um, we wanted to put some closure to the season right before finals. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about sending our seniors out in style. Um, but yeah, definitely always looking for, you know, forward to the next year. And I am forcing myself a day or two, but um, I'm excited. The future is bright and we're going to, we're going to miss our seniors, but they have set us up for success moving forward. So um excited to kind of put a little, tie a little bow on this season this evening. Nice. Well, don't, don't um, shortchange celebrating, you know, this season before you look ahead. So don't shortchange that. I mean, take full advantage of celebrating another national championship. Yes, thank you. I am trying to, but you know how I am. I, I start going, 
oh my gosh, what can, what can we do differently next year? So I've already started making notes. But I'm going to take some time off. I'm going camping next week, so cool. I'm going to take some time off. Yeah. All right, watch out for the ticks when you go camping. I That's will. another story. <laughs> What about? <laughs> tell me about. Tell me about the uh, the mosh pit that was added to the team event. Oh my goodness! How did that it come about? Turned, well, I did not know anything about this. It's turned into quite some things. So, um, in our in our sport, the routine, the team event is made up of all of these different elements. We have to do like thirty acro elements, um, four pyramids, five, and you have, some things have to be synced, and it's all of this list of requirements. Well, one of the requirements is two eight counts of at least half of the team dancing. Okay. It does not. It does not define dance. Okay. Okay. So I usually what happens if you ever if you watch close enough, our dance is never the same twice because okay. they change it all the time, <laughs> and they end they end in the sickum. Right. And I should have known that this team would do something different. So each, if you remember back when we won the fifth championship, when they got to the end of that routine, there was a part in the dance where they all put their hand up as a five. I did not know they were doing that. Ah, okay. They did that like in number two. So it's become their thing. Now, note, we did not do it with number six because they did not know they were going to win that one. Mm. Someone um, sat down a, a tumbling pass. So they, they have these. Well, what I found out is they had a student-athlete-only meeting in the locker room. And I knew they were having it, but I didn't, you know, I mean, it, I didn't think. I, I'm not upset with them, but I didn't think they were going to change anything like that. I thought right. it would just be something silly or they were pumping each other up. So what they did is they, they I found this out after they had hand signals going into the dance that if everyone had hit all of their things and they knew that they were going to score because going into the the team event, our team knew that we had to beat Gannon by, or Gannon would have to beat us by 6.19 mm-hmm. points mm-hmm. to win. And the two days prior to that, we had beaten, we our score without a good routine had, had scored, you know, in the 90s, right? So right. we knew all we needed to do was land on our feet and – so they, I, I did not know. They had hand signals, and they had one of the girls that one of the athletes that wasn't in the team event was throwing up hand signals and telling it, telling them to go for it. Because if someone had fallen and we thought we were going to take points off, they were going to abort the mission. Right, right. So they let each other know, and instead they did one account of dance, and then their version of dance was the mosh pit. And instead of saying <laughs> sickum, instead of saying sickum. They hit the floor and turned around and pointed to Emily Tobin, who was number seven. Number seven. <laughs> yeah. That is so great. So, it was hilarious. But at the time, I was like, what are they doing? And so, they, I mean, there were conversations, John, about it. You know, the, uh, there were people were asking, did they do enough dance? Are they going to get a deduction? Uh-huh. If we got a deduction, it would have only been five-tenths of a point we okay. were going to win. But they did not. Dance is not – dance can be – however you interpret dance. So the right. mosh pit could have been a dance. But I, ha- I truly had people call me after, very upset that they did the mosh pit and then they pointed it. And I said, honestly, if they would have asked me about it, I would have told them to not uh-huh. do the mosh pit. Right. I mean, just because I, I would rather than do the dance that we, or the version of it that we had put together. But I thought pointing at little Emily Tobin was pretty funny. Oh. I, I mean, because, and if you know her personality, she's so quiet. Right, right. So that was even, that was even the best part to me was that it was little Emily Tobin's number. But uh, yeah, no, they, I should now, going in, to the, I've learned something new in my billionth year of coaching, <laughs> going into the championship, do not change my routine <laughs> when you do this. But I, you should know that it would be this team to do that. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. It's very appropriate, yeah. right? That that's the way really this is. season with this team ends is something yeah. that was – 
something they did on their own without your approval, without you even knowing what was coming. And hoping I wouldn't be mad about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. Well, that's great. Well, congratulations. So happy for you and the team and Miss Girl. And enjoy the banquet tonight. Celebrate, uh, celebrate big time because it's a great accomplishment. And uh, thanks for being on with us. Okay, thanks, John. We appreciate you. All right, thanks very much. Watch out for the ticks. That is Felicia Mulkey, Baylor acrobatics and tumbling coach, back from Eugene, Oregon, where they won their seventh consecutive NCATA national championship. Seven straight. And let's make this point again, seven straight for Baylor. For Fee, who was at Oregon before she came to Baylor, that is 11 11, straight (laughs) national championships for teams coached by Felicia Mulkey. Now back to more of the best of the John Moore Show from the Alan Samuel Studios. Here's Aaron Sexton. It is the best of the John Moore Show on ESPN Central Texas. Before this year's NBA draft, John was joined on the show by Bill Peterson, special assistant to the head coach for men's basketball, to talk about Jeremy Sohan and Kendall Brown, who were both drafted this year, and also to talk about Baylor representing the United States in the global games that's going on right now through July 10th. Here is that conversation with special assistant to the head coach for men's basketball, Bill Peterson, on the John Morris Show on ESPN Central Texas. The Sohan drive, layup, good, and a blocking foul. Jeremy Sohan will have a chance at a three-point play. Now back to today's JMO Radio Show from the Allen Samuel Studios. Here's the voice of the Bears, John Morris and Aaron Sexton. Highlights courtesy of the Baylor Sports Network from Learfield. Uh, plentiful highlights. You go looking for highlights of Jeremy Sohan, uh, Kendall Brown. There are plenty to be found. Both of those guys expected to have their names called early on Thursday in the first round of the NBA draft. Welcome back. Glad you're with us. John Morris, Aaron Sexton in the Allen Samuels studios and pleased to be joined by Coach Bill Peterson, special assistant to the head coach for Baylor basketball. And uh, Coach P, we appreciate you being on with us. Sure. Thanks, John. Look forward to visiting with you and uh, always exciting time for some of our guys that uh, are going to have a great experience to get drafted in the NBA. Yeah, pretty cool, fun to think about the prospects there. And and these guys, these two specifically, are uh, are really high prospects, aren't they? I mean, they seem to be, you know, really high on every mock draft list that I've seen. Yes, they, they are. Jeremy's a little higher than Kendall right now. I, I'd say he's probably uh, pretty sure that he's going to be a lottery pick. Uh, he got an invite to the green room and uh, New York or wherever the draft is and so he'll be up there and uh, looks like he's probably going to be a lottery pick a lot of people tell him anywhere from 10 to 14 he'll probably get picked and Kendall's a little behind that somewhere in the late teens or uh, 20s probably it looks like right now anyway. Bill you've got such great experience uh, your NBA background and then your time here at Baylor and other schools um, just talk about those guys and what they bring, what the NBA uh, likes, uh, and why these guys are so highly regarded. Well, Jeremy's so well regarded, one, because he's had 
international experience. He's already played with men. He was on the national team in Poland. He actually started a game for him before he came to Baylor. So he was 17 years old playing with grown men in their 30s. So he understands what it's like to play with older guys. And Jeremy's one of those guys can play a lot of different positions. And they look for that. If you watch the NBA Finals with the Celtics and the Warriors, you saw um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And then the uh, Warriors have uh, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, guys that are six seven, six eight, six nine, that are multi-positional. And the NBA looks for guys like that. And, and Jeremy fits that bill. Uh, he's long, he's got great hands and great wingspan, and he can switch. He can guard one through five, and he has a European flair to his game. He really understands how to get rid of the ball and, and move the ball when he's on offense, not dribble all the time. And uh, he, he understands the concept of playing team basketball. So uh, he, he's a guy a lot of people feel like can come right in and be a rotation guy immediately on, on a decent team, you know, maybe not not a starter, but a guy that can come off the bench and, you know, maybe give your second unit a jolt because he can guard a lot of different positions and you can play him in a post, you can play him on the perimeter. He can also knock down a three. And then Kendall is more of an athletic uh, wing. Uh, people look for guys his size. He's six eight, and he can handle the ball left and right and can get to the rim and finish. Uh, would be really, really good on a team that plays a little more upbeat uh, in transition because he's a tremendous finisher at the rim. And uh, he's got a nice mid-range jump shot, and uh, he's a guy that can uh, make plays off the bounce. So uh, both of them are different, but uh, they both have great size and great length and uh, are both going to have really, really good NBA careers. Wow. That's a great assessment, Bill. That's what we, we thought we would get from you on this subject, so thanks for that. What, what about uh-huh. the uh, the age and experience factor? I mean, these two are going to be one-and-dones here at Baylor. We've never had that before. Uh, but it seems like that, that with those skill sets, uh, plural, that you talked about, uh, it, it makes sense for them to, to jump to the NBA. Sure. I mean, anytime someone's going to offer you millions of dollars uh, to <laughs> – have an occupation or to do a job, um, you know, even though you're real young, a lot of people may not know that both of them, both Jeremy and Kendall, just turned 19 the end of May. So they were 18 years old getting ready for the draft. So they'll be 19 when they get drafted. And one of the things you talk about with guys that myself and John Jacobson, Scott Drew and Alvin and Jared would visit with people when they call is, this kid's 18, yeah. and he's going to be 19 his first year. What's he going to be like when he's 22? You know, you've been around young people your whole life, and there's a tremendous growth and a change from a guy that when he's 18 and when he's 22, you know, they're, they're more mature. They look at things different. Uh, they handle things differently. There's so many things that change for them uh, during those two or three years, and, and that's what you have to project with both Jeremy and Kendall. You know, when you look at them, you can – poke holes and how they play and how they are now but you know how are they going to be when they're 22 after they played three years in the nba and now you got a guy that's more of a seasoned vet and understand what's coming down the lane and he's only 22 years old yeah. he's still got another eight to ten years to play uh he's not even in his prime yet so that youthfulness uh one of the things they ask a lot about is how well does he learn how does he pick things up you know, does he understand different pick and roll coverages? You know, is he pretty good with time? Like if you play a game, you know, in Portland and then you got to get on the plane because the next night you play in L.A., you're going to get in at three in the morning. Is he going to be able to get up and function and pay attention to a scout report 
take a nap and show up to the game and be able to bring it the next night. So those are all things that uh, young guys have to learn when they, when they first come in the league. Fascinating. And that maturity level that you talk about uh, really is uh, put to a test, isn't it, when you go to the league and, you know, you guys uh, there at Baylor, you just surround these guys when they're here, you know, with everything in the world that they need and wake-up calls and all that stuff. It's 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 going to be a different world, isn't it, when they go to the league? Yeah, definitely, John, very much. I mean, what you said, it hits home a great, great deal. I, when I was in the NBA with the Bucks, I had – Tobias Harris, who was a 19-year-old rookie from Tennessee, and one day we were working out, and he said, Coach, ain't nobody calling me. Ain't nobody <laughs> telling me what time I got to do this. Nobody's telling me that. And we get on the plane. We practice on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, or we practice from 11 to 1. I go take a shower. I got to be at the airport at 3. I walk right on the uh, end of the plane. I, the security, they just wave my hand. It's a private thing. Somebody has my bags. We fly into Atlanta. I get off the plane onto the bus. I go to the hotel. Somebody takes my bags to my room, and I don't have to be there again until shoot around next morning, 11 o'clock. I got to get my own dinner. I got to get the wake up call. I got to do all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that's what a, a mature person learns to do. You yeah. can't. You can't go out that, that night you fly into Atlanta and you got some friends. You can't go out and stay out till 1 or 2 in the morning and come walking through the lobby at 10.50 and pick up a banana and an apple out of the store, convenience store in the front of the hotel, and get on the bus all blurry-eyed because at 11 o'clock you got to go over a scout report and you got to know what the Hawks are running. you got to know how you're guarding a pick and roll. And after you do that, you're going to go back and take a nap and you got to get your own pregame meal. And then if you're a rookie, you're on the first bus at 5 o'clock. Uh, over to the gym, and if you're really dedicated, you know, when I was in the NBA, I'd take the rookies, or like Tobias, we'd go over at 4.15 in cab, uh. and we'd go over early, and he'd work out 40, 40 minutes before everybody else was there. Uh, he'd have his workout in, and he'd go back to the locker room, maybe take a shower and get dressed, we'd have something to eat, and then he'd come out and warm up with the team at 6.30 when they came out, or 6.45 uh, before the game, so... Yeah, that maturity of being able to doing things on your own and, and handling your own time arrangements and showing up ready to go, uh, those are things they have to learn, and, and they have to learn to do things tired because you're going to be fatigued with all the travel. Yeah. Bill Peterson, our guest, Baylor men's basketball, looking ahead to the NBA draft comes up on Thursday. Baylor uh, likely with a couple of first-round draftees, a couple of yearlings in uh, Jeremy Sohan and Kendall Brown. And, uh, Bill, this may not be a fair question, but – uh, given your NBA experience and your college experience, uh, the, the it, it seems like the big thing for both Jeremy and, and Kendall is they project. They project to the future is what I keep hearing. So it's not so much of what they did this past year here at Baylor, uh, although they both you know contributed greatly, but it's more how they project to the future within the league. Yes, and two, that how they fit in the system. Gotcha. You know, how can they adapt and adjust? You know, uh, people saw, you know, one of the things that helps them, obviously, people want guys from winning programs, teams that played in the NCAA tournament. And uh, like 80% of the guys that are drafted will have played in the NCAA tournament. Wow. So NBA teams want guys that know how to win. You know, and they're, 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 exceptions of guys well he didn't play in the tournament or he didn't play in the tournament but most guys that are drafted eight out of every ten will have been off a team that played in the ncaa tournament because they want guys that know how to win and to do the little things that uh, uh advance you towards winning to eventually win a championship and and both of them here at baylor learned uh, to play a certain way defensively and to play really hard another thing they ask a lot about is how's their motor how are they every day in practice you know how are they going to be 
you know, when, when they're tired, can they still get the juices flowing and get out there and play with energy? And uh, a lot of it's projection, but if I was looking back and saying, how are their habits right now? Uh, Alvin Brooks always says with our guys, same old boring habits. Mm-hmm. If they have good habits now, they're probably going to have good habits in two or three years. If their habits are sketchy now, then the habits are probably going to be a little sketchy as they get on down the road unless they really grow up and mature. Because unlike here, you know, both of them made some money through NIL here at Baylor, but now they're going to make real money. And I say real money because if both of them are first-round picks, they're guaranteed anywhere from 3 to $4 million every year for the next three or four years of their, of their life uh, because that's guaranteed money, the first uh, top 30 picks, the first round in, in the NBA. So how do you handle all that as a, as a person? Are you a guy that goes crazy and starts buying a bunch of cars and staying out all night? Or do you understand this is your career, this is your craft, and you need to really focus and keep maturing? Yeah, boy, that all makes sense. Final question for you, and this is an impossible question to answer, but from what you know right now about these two guys, Jeremy and Kendall, uh, do you see the potential there for a long, solid, successful NBA career ahead of them? Yes, I do. I think both of them could easily play eight to ten years in the NBA. Um, both of them could easily eventually be starters in the NBA too. Uh, a lot of it will be, you know, it's so, so important, John, that uh, they get with the right team. And I, I say that if they go to a young team that loses a lot and they fall into bad habits and they see guys losing and maybe not working hard as hard, maybe it hurts them in, uh, down the road. But if they go to maybe a more established team that has a good culture and has a good shot to make the playoffs and play and they're around good veterans, it show them the ropes and they learn that and they take that uh, to heart and they start doing that every day in their everyday life, then both of them could easily play eight to ten years in the NBA. And, and I think both of them could eventually start uh, on teams that uh, make the playoffs in the NBA one day. And you know, I, I always tell them when we talk about it here, I always say, you guys realize now you're 18, you're going to be 19. Now you're going to go play with men every night, okay? Hmm. These guys have three kids and a wife, and they have another business, and, you know, they're, they're going to kick your tail. They're not going to let you come in and just take over just because you're talented. Right? This is their livelihood, and you will start to realize it's a dog-eat-dog situation because they want to win. If the coaches don't win, the GM, they get fired. So it, it turns a little different now that uh, – once you're paying for, you know, you're getting paid to play. Right, you right. Know, and the, Skiles used to always say, Scott Skiles used to say, this is, this is like McDonald's. This is play on demand. You drive up. I want my food right now. I want you to play right now. You can sit over on that bench for 25 minutes, but if I put you in mid of the third quarter, you better be ready to go. And if you're not, I'm taking you out, and I'll find somebody that can do that. So it's play on demand immediately. Wow, that's great. Great information, Bill. Thank you very much. Appreciate you being on with us, and uh, thanks very much for your time. Okay. Have a good day, John. Thanks very much. Uh, Bill Peterson, uh, officially special assistant to the head coach for Baylor basketball. You can tell listening to him so much more than that, and uh, what a great wealth of knowledge Bill has. Aaron, from his time in the NBA, six years an assistant, he said under Scott Skiles uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, worked with the Mavericks, player development coach and scout a couple of years, uh, special assistant with the Golden State Warriors in there. He was uh, the head coach uh, in the G League, I guess it was, with the Erie Bayhawks uh, from 2014 to 2017. That was right before he came to Baylor. So all that background, and uh, this is this is the kind of guy on Coach Drew's staff that 
that pours into our players to the point that, you know, everyone on that staff has their role. Bill has his role, and that is uh, telling these guys from experience, from his own experience, what it has to happen and what it'll be like when they get to the NBA. Because all these Baylor players, they want to play in the NBA, and Bill's a guy who's been there, and he can tell them what it's like and what they need to do to get there. Yeah, and that's so such an incredible thing to have as a player. And, you know, if you're Scott Drew, to have on your staff exactly. as somebody with that experience, you know, head coach in the G League and an assistant in the NBA for multiple years. He knows what it's like. He can relate that to the players and let them know what they had looked had to have to look forward to, which you talked about, you know, in detail earlier. It's it's just uh, just a great guy to have on your staff. Yeah, tremendous. Uh, again, wealth of experience that uh, Bill can share with uh, all of the players. Baylor is practicing right now, and you say, what? How can they be doing that in June? Well, it's a little bit of a different situation. Baylor will represent the United States in the inaugural Global Jam that is coming up in July. This is uh, this would be akin to the, um, not the Olympics, but the World University Games. Or like the Pan Am Games? Yeah, or sort of like, like that, that. Yeah. exactly. And the Baylor team is uh, representing uh, USA. I mean, they've got, uh, David Case says they've got USA jerseys and uniforms that are ready nice. to go. How cool is that? Yeah, that's really awesome. And so in addition to that and the time they'll play from July 5th through July 10th in Toronto, they get uh, these practice days. I think it's 15 practice days leading up to the start of the trip. So it's extra practice in the summer that you normally wouldn't get, plus the bonding that goes along you know, with a trip like this. Uh, the Baylor um, representing the USA, also teams from Canada, Italy, and Brazil. I guess that's it. Baylor will play Italy in the first game, July 5th, 1 p.m. Then they will play on the 6th, uh, Canada versus USA. On the 7th, the USA versus Brazil. And then uh, they, the uh, best teams go to the semifinals on July 9th. And then the men's gold medal match would be on July 10th. Again, this is in Toronto with uh, Baylor basketball representing uh, USA in this uh, first inaugural Global Jam tournament. Now back to more of the best of the John Moore Show from the Allen Samuel Studios. Here's Aaron Sexton. It is the best of the John Moore Show on ESPN Central Texas. In our final segment today, John was joined on the show recently by Baylor Deputy Athletic Director Don Rogers to talk about the 50th anniversary of Title IX. Here is that conversation on the Best of the John Morris Show on ESPN Central Texas. On June 23, 1972, Title IX was signed into law. It's the first law that prohibited discrimination on the basis of sex and ensures equal opportunity for women in all levels of education, especially athletics. 50 years later, Title IX continues to be a major player in the fight for women's equality in sports. This is the impact of Title IX. There is still plenty of progress to be made, but as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of Title IX and the women who fought to get us here, there is hope for a more equitable future for all women in sports. Now back to today's JMO Radio Show from the Allen Samuel Studios. Here's the voice of the Bears, John Morris and Aaron Sexton. Back with us, and that is a uh, brief introduction to this segment that I think is very uh, succinct, and this is the 
50th anniversary today of the passage of Title IX. It was June 23rd, 1972, when uh, then-President Richard Nixon signed it into law. Part of a, it, it was part of more, it wasn't just Title IX, it was part of an education bill that was passed at that time. But Title IX has had such an impact on uh, college athletics and women's sports since that time that this is a very significant date today, the 50th anniversary. To talk about that, we welcome in Don Rogers, Baylor's Deputy Athletic Director. Uh, and, and this is kind of in your wheelhouse, isn't it, this it subject? Is. And we appreciate you being on with us. I am so excited to chat with you today. <laughs> this will great. be fun. Very good. So in a nutshell, 50 years later, uh, where are we? You know, it, it seems to me that we could spend the rest of the hour yeah, talking how much, about that. How much time do we right, have? Right, right. Yeah. But it, it seems like it has uh, allowed great steps forward in this area, what it was intended to do. Yeah, and I think it's a combination of what the law was intended to do. And of course it wasn't restricted just to athletics, right. what was passed in 1972. And in fact, in, you know, in doing some research, it wasn't until 1983 that um, the civil rights restoration act went into place saying, well, in 1983, there was a Grove city case because there was all different kinds of interpretations as the law went into effect. And in 1980, uh, in 1983, there was this thought that athletics doesn't get federal funding, mm -hmm. so they're exempt. Mm. And in 1988, um, we came back with the Civil Rights Restoration Act that said, no, universities receive federal funding, so you you know you must abide by this yeah. law. And I was sharing with you that, ironically, that was my first full-time job. Wow. was at Temple University, and they there had been a lawsuit brought against them by some students, uh, some female student athletes, and... So when um, when that Restoration Act went into place, they settled the lawsuit. And one of the things they did was create a position to market women's athletics. Mm. And that was my first full-time job there. And I had such a blast doing things because no one had ever done things for the women's teams. And, you know, of course, this was Temple. This was Coach Cheney. Mm -hmm. And um, Linda McDonald had an extraordinary women's team the year that I started there. And we had a lot of fun that year. And just the appreciation uh, from the student athletes and the coaches to have somebody working on their behalf was really fulfilling for me at such a young age. Wow. How about that? That's a great connection between yes. you and Title IX. So when it was passed, uh, you'll hear the term, if you haven't already today, 37 words. Yes. That's the, uh, that's the gist of the copy. Here's the text. No person in the United States shall, based on sex, be excluded from participation in be denied the benefits of or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So that's it, 37 words, and look what that has blossomed into. Yeah, it, it, and it touches so many different areas, and, and really even down at the high school level. I, I remember when I was younger, uh, volleyball season was in the winter in Michigan because of gym space, limited gym space. And students came back and coaches came back and said, you are reducing our opportunities to be recruited because we're playing outside of a traditional season. Mm. You can't make us play in a different season because we don't have enough gym space. We are afforded the right to have the same access. And so it's impacted so many different wow. things. When I was in high school, um, 
I don't want to give away my age, <laughs> but you know, a lot of women's teams were being added and then being, you know, a student athlete in college, it really wasn't until I started working that I understood the significance of how the law was impacting, you know, as you got into college and we started talking about it. And then fast forward to, you know, my daughter being born in 1999 and, you know, walking into gyms, she played club volleyball and just saying all these girls, you know, every shape and size having access to playing sports. And you just, I looked back when I was that age and we didn't have any of those you things. You didn't have nearly that many opportunities. Yes. And, and, the, and then when you look at the history at, you know, at Baylor, for example, with such excellence around our women's teams. And so you start going back and say, how did it start? And so much of it started through physical education mm. and just women coming together saying, we have to give athletic opportunities to these, you know, uh, women student athletes and they just created it. And then you moved into the AIAW being absorbed by the NCAA and you get to today. And, you know, I, I think the law created the opportunities, but now it's just a norm because mm -hmm. as a society, we appreciate, you know, women and, you know, their excellence in sport. Yeah. Very good uh, brief history of Baylor and uh, Title IX. What else can you tell us about that, about the steps forward and kind of the timeline as much as you can uh, for Baylor? Well, I love this book, Before Brittany, um, written by Dr. Nancy R. Goodlow. Mm -hmm. This is a great history. I mean, I, I'm going to read it from cover to cover after skimming through it and um, kind of taking us through you know, starting in 1904, athletic opportunities, and again, mostly through phys ed, and then starting our first intercollegiate teams in, in the late 1960s. And we, gosh, we offered basketball, volleyball, tennis, badminton was really big, if yeah, you remember, yeah. yeah, back in the 60s and 70s. Uh -huh. I had a professor at Ithaca College that was a world-class badminton player. Really? And we all had to take the class. Uh-huh. And she would just demolish you <laughs> in the class. And uh, so I have a great appreciation for badminton, yeah. swimming, golf, bowling, track and field, fencing. And, you know, so that was the beginning of what Baylor looked like. And, and, and again, now you look at the success of our, our women's programs are so extraordinarily successful that it's really fun to go back and look at the history. And then, you know, we have Paula Young mm -hmm. here, a trailblazer, you know, started sports, uh, coached sports here at Baylor. She's still on our staff. So we're surrounded by these, you know, different uh, women that have been involved in this groundswell of what women's athletics look like. And it's really fun to, to hear their stories and just, you just got it done. You know, yep. you drove the, what did yeah. we used to have the station wagons right. with no seat belts <laughs> and just got on the road and went and competed against other colleges. Wow. And, and look where we are today in, in pretty much every area. Uh, I know we in Baylor Athletics, we try to promote, to give the same access, to give obviously scholarship uh, levels to, yes. you know, the same to say men's basketball and women's yes. basketball, baseball, softball, comparing those. I mean, look where we are now yes. in that area. It, it was really refreshing. You know, I'm coming up on, on five years here at Baylor and from the moment that I, that I walked in, it was really refreshing to see, you know, and that starts with Mac Rhodes and just his philosophy on we're going to support every student athlete and give them access. And it doesn't matter if you're on a men's team, if you're on a women's team. And um, but looking at what we do 
there's a laundry list when you do a Title IX review, and we do one every year. We bring mm -hmm. a consultant in. It's a priority. Baylor has done it for over a decade. And going through and looking at social media, equipment, per diem, cool. let's make sure that and, – and, you know, we take it for granted, right? right? Like, of course. Of course you do that. Right. And I think a lot of that is born out of – I mean, look at how many athletic directors – have rock star daughters that have been yeah. student athletes. Like I love working for athletic directors that have daughters because they are, you know, they're not going to have it that, you know, both men and women are treated the right, same, Right. but you know, things that we take for granted. And then you hear the stories about the women's teams that get less per diem or don't travel the same way or have benches instead of a dugout at the softball field. And I used to do peer review visits. I've traveled to many places and and that isn't just an assumed norm mm. um, but it's a priority that Baylor has made and I think you know we're not perfect there's times that we have to stop and look but we always ask the question mm -hmm. of you look at our basketball programs both national champions and you know I can truly unequivocally say those programs are both resourced at the same level uh, one doesn't get more than the other and when we're making decisions we always look how it will impact, you know, if we make a decision for one team, how it impacts another team, not just with basketball, but, you know, really across the board. And that's something we make a priority every year to look at and, and bring someone else in that can look at it through a different lens than we do and give us really great feedback. Yeah. So we sort of, we here at Baylor, we do sort of look at it that way because that's our mindset, that's our leadership, that's our yes. uh, philosophy here at Baylor. Not like that at other schools. You've been at other places, not to, you know, to slam any other places, but you've seen it uh, from some other uh, uh, other angles also. I, I have, and you still do. And And again, I think sometimes it's not even intentional. It's just you've had a way of doing things, and no one ever – has stopped and said, should we re-examine how we're treating different teams? Yeah. And I think that's important to just have critical, you know, critical eye on your staff. I think we have a group of coaches that's very comfortable. I mean, we cannot have this conversation and not talk about Felicia Mulkey, yeah, you know, point. another um, trailblazer, pioneer in, in forming acrobatics and tumbling. And, and really forming, you know, we talk about acrobatics and tumbling as a women, a sport created by women for women. And I think that's the power of intercollegiate athletics. It's creating these, you know, powerful women through sport that then go out and I'll say run the world. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and whenever I meet with student athletes, I, mm -hmm. I say, I'm, I'm going to be working for you someday because <laughs> you're, you're amazing. And I think that's, that was my own, um, journey through intercollegiate, you know, I didn't start competing until later. I grew up on a farm and I rode horses. And then I said, I'm going to try this thing called track mm -hmm. and then tried volleyball. And the things that you learn about yourself, um, the things you learn about yourself in tough workouts and being in the weight room, those are the same opportunities that we needed to give to our young ladies that we've been giving to our young men for decades, because we know the power of sport. We know how it helps you grow and develop and, and, um, Get ready to be an adult. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Felicia. That's perfect because you will you don't have to talk to her very long for her to say when these schools add the sport of acrobatics and tumbling, that's 40 or more opportunities yes. for women to compete at a collegiate level. Yes. And I, I, I knew about acrobatics and tumbling. I had never been to a competition until I came, you know, to Baylor. And, of course, 
you know, when you meet any of our coaches, they just have such an infectious personality and you look forward to going to practices and competitions. And I felt the same way um, with Felicia. And it really is an incredible sport when you see of, you know, how it, it develops confidence yeah. and just the way she runs, you know, she runs the program. I think all of our, you know, all of our coaches are like that, but she, you know, she certainly is special with winning every national championship in acrobatics and tumbling. Every since one the, of them. Every yeah. single one of them. <laughs> and I think what really speaks to that is coming to Baylor and the team had not been highly successful in taking that first class of, you know, when she was here, and they won a national championship. And so that pressure every year to, you know, to continue that streak. And she she leans into it. She loves it. Yeah. All right, final thought and kind of finish where we started. There's still work to be done. I mean, yes. it's, it's a work in progress. Yes. But a day like today just gives so much attention to Title IX and women and women in sports. And this is just a great kind of a, a checkpoint along yes. the way, isn't it? Yes. I think what's important is just the continued conversations. And, and sometimes there's not answers for every um, issue, but if we continue to talk about it and acknowledge, I, th I think, you know, one of the blessings of COVID, and I think it's important to try to find some because yeah. there certainly were plenty that weren't, was, you know, we, we turned our eye to television. We looked for things to entertain us as mm -hmm. we were, you know, as we were, staying home and women's athletics experienced um, just a, some great growth during that time. Yeah. And, and, you know, as we were all looking for programming and all of a sudden it was like, that's amazing. Mm. And, you know, when people watch, they fall in love. Yeah. And, and I think we've really seen networks and streaming and different platforms give us more opportunity to get to watch women's athletics. And that brings in fans. I've seen that here at Baylor with the, you know, kind of each of our women's teams has a different fan following mm -hmm, mm -hmm, in Waco, sure. which mm -hmm. is really, really, really fun. But we definitely still have issues that we need to walk through and have great conversation with different um, minds trying to solve some of the challenges. We sit here right now with NIL, for example, mm -hmm. and there's been conversation around that it's disproportionate mm -hmm. and it's not a university decision but we still have to kind of walk through and navigate and understand that we need to look at all of our student athletes and what opportunities we can give them. The beauty of Baylor is I really feel like everything that we feel like we can control, we really have an eye for equality. Um, and that, that goes for our men too, right, um, right. you know, all of our different sports, but let's just continue the conversation and realize you know, the value of what athletics does, you know, for our young men and women. Yeah, very well said. Hey, thanks. That was perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. And it is a big day, a big date, a big anniversary, the 50th anniversary of signing Title IX into law. And Donna, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Have All a right. great day. You too. Thank you. Don Rogers, Baylor's deputy AD in, uh, in our athletic department and a great source and resource to talk about this anniversary for Title IX.